0: Amen, amen, you guys may be seated, and if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. Welcome to Redeemed Church Fellowship in Glendora! We are here and the Lord is doing a work! It's awesome! First time here and uh, it's a blessing to be able to teach the Bible simply with you guys this morning. So I do want to make a couple announcements before we uh, get started with our Bible study. We got together this morning at nine a.m my my parents, Lisa, myself, Ashley, and we prayed and uh, we went through a little devotional. Um, you know, we want to invite if, if any of you guys feel called to to serve, if you feel called to to ministry and, and you desire to to grow in in leadership and in discipleship, um, pray come pray with us. At 9 a.m., we're going to be meeting on Sunday mornings um, and getting the place ready. So it was a blessing to do that. I just want to open that up for you guys. Also, uh, encourage you guys to invite your friends, your family members this coming Sunday, uh, seven days from today. We're going to have our grand opening here, Redeemed Church Fellowship, and um, we're excited to say the least, to say the least, what the Lord has done with this place. Um, and with that also, uh, I'm going to be announcing the, the first uh, Fridays uh, coming in June. Uh, I'm sorry, not the first Friday. So it's going to be the second Friday in June. Uh, we're going to be starting a men's fellowship here on Friday nights at 7 o'clock. And uh, we invite the men to come out and to uh, to grow as leaders of their household, as leaders of their work, their families, um, come out and just see what the Lord wants to say to you guys. So that's uh, Friday nights coming up on the second Friday of June. And with that, uh, we're going to continue in our Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 8. Beginning with verse 40, I want to read the portion of, of Scripture to you that we're in so we can get a picture, the whole picture of what Luke wanted to document for us. If you guys remember, Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. So being a doctor, he was keen on note-taking. He had to be a good student, and he also had to be uh, someone who looked at the science of things, of how the body worked, how it functioned. And so something I recognize in in Luke, that when he documented events and accounts as they, they happened, he was detailed. In fact, Luke, one of the gospel writers, has so many accounts that Mark, Matthew, and John didn't record, and Luke would go and get eyewitness testimony from Mary and from some of the other disciples and would document these miracles that happened. One of the the miracles that he documented is what we're going to be studying on today. It's the healing of Jairus' daughter and the healing of the woman who was sick for a long time. Beginning in Luke chapter 8, starting with verse 40, it says So it was when Jesus returned, and the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about twelve years of age. And she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now a woman, having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, and she declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason She had touched him and and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Do not be afraid. Only believe, and she will be made well. When he came into the house, He permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called her, saying, Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately, and he commanded that she be given something to eat and her parents were astonished but he charged them to tell no one what had happened so just before this account that we are have just read if you guys remember last week jesus just came from the gatherings where he cast out exercise a legion of demons out of this demon-possessed man, sent them into pigs, and the pigs went running down the hill and committed suicide. And right after that, the people of that town, when they saw this man who was healed, they go to Jesus and they say, hey man, you gotta go. We don't want you here. They were scared of him. And they were also doing some shady business because they weren't supposed to be dealing with those pigs that were there. And they begged him, leave, just go, just go, we don't want you here. But the man who was healed, the demon-possessed man who is now soberly minded, begged Jesus, Jesus, let me go with you. And Jesus told him, no, stay. I want you to tell all your friends and your family members, the people who live in this city, what the Lord has done for you. And then right after that, they get back in the boat, and they go back across the Galilee now to this other side, and when Jesus returned, it says in verse 40, So it was when Jesus returned, the whole multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. See, Jesus, he's the model for Paul and the disciples. And that he spoke the truth in love, no matter the reaction of the crowds. You see, last week when we studied the, the demoniac, he was widely begged to leave the gatherings. Like Jesus, Paul later would experience this same reaction that wherever you go to preach the gospel, sometimes it erupts in riot or revival. And especially in Paul's case, everywhere he would go and begin to preach the the gospel, especially even to the Jews, as soon as he said, and the Lord is going to save the Gentile people, they'd say, blasphemy, and rip open their shirts and want to grab Paul and take him to prison and beat him up. I'm reminded in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 and 17, Paul writes, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other we are the aroma of life leading to life. You see, the gospel is an offense. Now, I want to encourage you guys in something, that not everyone is going to like you, especially as Christians. I was listening to a study from Pastor Sean McKeon recently, and he saw in this interview uh, that this person on television was saying the greatest threat to America right now is the Christian church. And that's what society wants us to believe. That the Bible, that the morality that the Bible teaches is outdated, that it's wrong. So understand, believer, the Christian this morning, that there's going to be people who you're an offense to them. What you stand for is an offense to them. The man, Jesus, who you identify with, is offensive. And it's not something that we should run from, but continuing to share the truth in love. So these people, they were not offended by Jesus, though. They loved him. They came to him. In verse 41, it says, And behold, there came a a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. So now we have another person coming to Jesus and begging him. Jairus is this man's name. His name means whom God enlightens. And Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue, it says. And by this point, Jairus had to have heard of jesus and how jesus was going around healing on the sabbath forgiving sins of of sinners now keep in mind jairus he's a ruler of the synagogue and all his buddies are pharisees so whether jairus at that point in time was for jesus or against him now he's coming to him begging him and why why is he going to jesus Because his daughter is dying. A father is going to do that. When their child is on the line, they will cast aside all prejudices, all ego. Whatever is on their plate, they will put it aside. A good father will do this. So Jairus is now seeking Jesus for a chance to save his daughter. Notice he falls down at the feet of Jesus. It's a place of humility. This position of being prostrate before the Lord is something that is talked about in the scripture. Remember, even Jesus in the garden, he humbled himself before the Lord. And before I became a believer, I didn't understand what that meant, prostrating yourself before the Lord. But then trials started to come into my life as a Christian, as a believer. And I found myself on my bedroom floor just laying out, praising the Lord. And then sometimes my mom would walk in and hit me with the door and be like, what are you doing on the floor? I'd be like, oh, I'm praying. <laughs> but it's the literal humbling of yourself before the Lord to get alone. I look forward to, to worship in here having a worship sessions that we can wait on the Lord. And if you guys have been in those, those rooms when they, they say, hey, if right now you just want to get on, on your face before the Lord, feel free to do so. Those moments when you're, it's just you and Jesus, it's beautiful. And I, I believe that in our lives, sometimes we forget about those moments and we forget to take time to spend in those moments. Now notice Jesus, he began to go with Jairus. But then something happens. There's a delay that occurs. And Jesus is slowed down because the multitudes, that are thronging him. That word throng, I'm like, what does that even mean? <laughs> I can imagine what it means, but I, in the scripture, the Greek word, it means to drown, to choke, or even strangle. So this is just a mass amount of people. If you guys have ever been in the concert scene when there's just people body to body on on you in the BO while they're trying to get to Jesus. They're reaching for him and they love him. They're following after him. But remember, these same people later on in Jesus's life will turn against him. But they're following him right now. Not all of them will turn And as Jairus, he comes to the Savior, he's walking with the Savior, we realize a problem occurs in his life, a delay at the most crucial time of Jairus' life. He's trying to get his daughter saved, and there's all these people that are slowing him and Jesus down. It reminds me that just because we walk with Jesus doesn't mean we are not going to experience delays in life, problems in life disappointments. You see, something is about to enter this account that is going to be a disappointment to Jairus. But for Jesus, it's a divine appointment. You see, often our disappointments are God's appointments, divine appointments. You see, when I was dating Lisette back there, the camera girl, I told her, I want to start a church in Glendora. And then, you know, we were dating and we tried starting a church in Glendora 2020. January, we started up the place. We were all excited. We got the youth center going and then boom, COVID, everything shuts down. We kept going at my parents' house. Thank God for them. But I wanted to start a church in Glendora and God said, no, you're going to start a family. Here's your wife. You see, then, while we were engaged and saving, I told said, hey, said, I, w- I want to buy a house. And she was like, well, I don't know if we're going to be able to. And I said, no, the Lord, faith, said, faith. <laughs> but then God said, no, you're not going to buy a house right now. You're going to start a church in Glendora. See, God knows what he's doing. Trust his timing, wait on the Lord, and be encouraged when God sends you a delay because he knows what's best for us. Jairus has to learn this in this account. He's looking at the crowds and he's like, my daughter, we need to go. We need to save her, Jesus. But something happens that stops Jesus. Though Jairus is there with him, he's like, yeah, I'm going to go with you. Jesus is stopping. In verse 43, we read on. It says, Now a woman, having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. You see, in this culture, if a woman was having her menstrual cycle, if she was bleeding, it meant that she was unclean ceremonially and she would not be able to enter the synagogue. Now imagine this woman lived like this for 12 years and this would have resulted in the loss of being able to go to the synagogue and the loss possibly of even having a relationship with her husband. Maybe no one wanted to to be with the woman who had this. And many times, if you had this kind of problem, people assumed that it was because of some sort of sexually transmitted disease. Ceremonially, she could not be touched. And she was probably even anemic and weak because of the flow of blood. And when you look at that text, in verse 43, it says, a flow of blood for 12 years. That's a long time. In fact, why don't you guys say this with me? That's a long time, okay? It's a long time. This woman had given up her life and her livelihood in the pursuit of being made well by doctors all to no avail. But finally, Jesus came. We gather that she must have heard of the work of the Messiah, that Jesus was preaching, teaching, and to her, more importantly, healing. She felt if that she could just touch the hem of his garment, perhaps she might be healed. You see, if I could just work my way through these crowds and with the strength that I have just reach out and touch Jesus, I'll be clean. I'll be able to go worship in the synagogue again. Now, one thing that stands out to me in the healings and the miracles of Jesus is how many different functions they come by. See, God does not work in cookie-cutter fashion. He uses endless methods to minister to his children. With this woman, it was just by the touch of Jesus' garment. But you guys remember with a blind man, he got some dirt on the floor, he spit and rubbed his spit and the dirt together to make some clay, and then he rubbed it on the guy's eyes, and then slowly the guy started to be able to see? That's an interesting one, right? Never again, I don't think, in the history of man did that probably happen. (laughs) Who knows? For another... With some of them, he simply touched their hands and others, like the centurion's servant, he simply spoke the word. He said, go, your servant is healed. And all this was done through faith. You see, our God is a healer. He has a name, the Lord Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. Now, sadly, there is doctrines that proclaim that if you're not healed, that it's because of a lack of faith. And if you claim healing over yourself by your faith, the sickness must depart. And if it doesn't leave, it's because your faith is weak. Now, this is a a, a sad trap that I feel sometimes believers fall into. And I even know some have walked away because they felt that their close fellowship with Christ was based on on healing or not. Now, in John chapter 9, verse 1 through 3, if you guys remember, when Jesus and the disciples, they saw a man who was blind from birth, and the disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sin, but the, the works of God should be revealed in him. See, it wasn't about sin. It wasn't about wrongdoing. The Lord had an appointment for this blind man. Again, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, he complained about this infirmity that Satan had brought upon him. He says a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul says, therefore, Most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in need, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, we look forward to the promise of God that he is going to ultimately heal us fully and completely one day. In Revelation 21, verse 4, it says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. You see, Paul was martyred on the side of a road beheaded. And we could think, well, God, where were you when that was taking place? He was in the same place that he was when Jesus was on the cross and he was watching him. You know, with martyrs, they're joined with their Heavenly Father in those moments as they experience the pain. Some have even been recorded to be singing worship songs as they're being martyred. But Jesus, when he was up there on the cross, he cried out, Father, why have you forsaken me? As he took on the sins of the entire world. It was for a moment. And we were all forgiven. And then he was taken, buried in the tomb, resurrected on the third day, given a new life. This is why we know God is a healer. He held Jesus, his body, a resurrected body, and a resurrected body Jesus will give us. So are we falling apart day by day? Yep. I got to go to the dentist. We're falling apart. We're getting old. I turned 30 this year and my heart, Verse 45. Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. See, the question Jesus had of who touched him didn't make any sense to the disciples. This is the difference between being around Jesus versus having faith in Jesus. See, we could grow up in the church and be around church, but do we have faith in Jesus? This is the power that Jesus had by the Spirit that this woman touched him and he felt that power leave him. Remember, That Jesus was born of the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit. He was driven by the Spirit and was working by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, this is the power the Holy Spirit has in the life of not only Jesus, but in you, the believer. Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem. He said, wait, before you guys go out and start ministry, wait for the Holy Spirit go into to Jerusalem and I'm going to send the helper. The paracletus is the word. Now that's the Holy Spirit moving through Jesus. You see, the Holy Spirit has three positions in a person's life before the person is saved. The Holy Spirit comes alongside them and starts convicting them of sin Start starts saying, hey, there's, there's truth out there in the world. Jesus loves you. And that sinner's like, man, I just feel like God is, is calling me to him and then has that conversion experience and says, all right, Jesus, God, I want you in my life. So first the Holy Spirit is alongside that person to convict them. And then the Holy Spirit enters that person. They're saved. They're sealed. But then there's a third position. That's the upon experience. That's when the Holy Spirit is overflowing into that person and then begins to flow through that person to minister to someone else. Even Jesus experienced the upon experience. Remember he even said, I of myself can do nothing except what the Father grants me. That's Jesus, the God-man, saying that he needs his Father He needs to follow the will of the Lord. In verse 47, Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, she declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. You see, this woman To touch Jesus, it would have made him, her, ceremonially clean. It would have made Jesus ceremonially unclean. But she had faith that it would make her well, and all she did was reach out for that point of activation. You see, sometimes we need that. Just that, something to release our faith that point of activation, to open yourself up to Jesus. We have oil, right? You guys have seen oil. Sometimes we anoint people with oil and pray over them. Well, the power isn't in the oil. The oil is not magic. God is the power. Jesus. You see, the oil is a symbol. But that oil can also be that point of activation of our faith when we put it on someone, pray over them. And that faith, it opens up a person to release their belief, their faith in God above, the Holy Spirit and Jesus. Sometimes a retreat can do that for you. A sanctuary, a church. And when you step into that, that place, that retreat center, up in the mountains or in some church, You just open yourself up to what God wants to say or to prayer. My Bethel, I'll call it, uh, that's the place where Jacob went to go worship the Lord and he returned there to worship the Lord. I have a Bethel in Mammoth. It's Rainbow Falls. See, I remember when I first got saved, I went underneath that big old waterfall and it was just pouring down on me. And I remember just the Holy Spirit telling my my heart in a sense that that was so small in comparison to the grace that he wants to pour on me. That his grace was so big flowing like a waterfall and I was just under it. Howard got to go in there too. He was like with the water on him and the GoPro. But sometimes we need those little retreats, those getaways, to be able to open ourselves up to direction from the Lord, to see where Jesus, where God would lead us. And this woman saw that if she could just touch that garment, that would be her point of activation. She just wanted to touch it. In verse 48, And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You see, she wasn't healed because of a work that she did. She was healed by faith. That's one of the biggest lessons of the Bible is that it is faith through which we are saved. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You see, If we could know the future, well, we'd probably be super anxious. But if we knew certain things that were going to happen, we might not need faith. If we didn't have problems in our life, why would we need faith? Why would we need hope? But pain and trials in our life, they bring out faith. I was listening to an astrophysicist recently not a believer, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, talking about evidence, talking about how by searching and making tests that we can determine whether something exists or not. And he gave this example, an illustration, and I, I agreed with him actually in his statement. He said if he wanted to find out if there was a bear that was in a cave, and he before he went into the cave. So he watched the cave for days and put food out in front of the cave and markings so that and trip wires so that way he could determine whether there was a bear in the cave or not. And after weeks of of studying, never saw any animal or life going in or out of that cave. He would say he's determined with enough evidence that there is nothing in the cave. And I agree to a point. But you see, either way, he's taking a step of faith into that cave. Now, I relate that to my salvation, to Jesus, our God. You see, I've seen enough evidence that I know I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I've studied and been open to trying to have my mind changed that Jesus is not the way, but every time I come back. I see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You see, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Even Abraham, in Hebrews 11, verse 17 and 19, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. You see, by faith, Abraham did this. And because of this, in Romans chapter 4, verse 20, Paul writes, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, speaking of Abraham, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that he had promised that he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. You see, before Abraham was given the ceremony of circumcision, God counted him to be righteous. Why? Because of faith. Faith was always the reason why people were saved, even before Jesus came to be before he walked on this earth and was crucified and resurrected, people were still saved by faith. Yes, they had the animal sacrifices, but that was all done in faith. When Moses was before the Israelites saying, all right, we're going to kill the sheep, and you're going to put the blood on your house, and then the angel's going to go out and kill all the Egyptians, but it's not going to hurt us. Don't worry. You had an option at that point. Okay, do I believe this guy? Do I put the blood on my doorstep? Or do I say, forget about it. I'm just going to hang back in my house tonight. No. What did they see, though, before that? They saw the ten plagues, right? And as all the plagues came and went, their faith grew. After trial, their faith grew. After trials in your life, God is going to test your faith. You see, you can't have a testimony without test. In verse 49, while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and sang to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, do not be afraid, only believe and she will be made well. See, I believe this is the word of the Lord. You see, the world is telling you that your hope is gone. Your dreams are dead. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. Belief. The world is going to tell you, look, your finances, they're not there. Your family, destroyed. Your health, it's failing. Your work, it, you're, you're losing it. The ministry is over and your pursuit in life is done. And Jesus says to you this morning, don't be afraid, believe. In verse 51, when he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. So we have Peter, James, and John, the three close disciples of Jesus. James and John were the the sons of thunder. And Jesus, he puts out all the non-believers first. He says, okay, look, we're going to put all the non-believers outside. We're going to go, and I'm going to speak to this girl, and she's going to come to life. And back then they had these mourners that they would hire. They would hire professional mourners the way that we have funerals and we have ceremony and and sometimes there's music there. Well, they would hire people to come out to wail and to cry as a show of look how loved that this person was, that all these people are wailing and crying and that was just something that was part of their culture. And so Jesus tells them, all right, put the the mourners outside and the mourners are the ones who are like, (laughs) to Jesus. But they missed out on the promises of God because they did not believe. That was the same failure that the Israelites encountered that because they did not believe in Jesus, they didn't enter into the promised land. There's another account in in. The kings, where there is a, a man who doesn't believe that God is going to save Israel, though the enemy is coming against him. And in one night, all, the angel goes out and destroys all the opposing enemy. And then the next morning, when the man who didn't believe comes out to see what happened, and all the army is gone, everybody goes running out to get the army supplies, that man is trampled. He didn't even see the blessings that God was going to bring to Israel because he didn't believe. See, we need to believe. We need to take the full promise of God. Sometimes we get scared and we get fearful and we don't step into the full promise, the full land that God has prepared for us because of fear, because of unbelief, because of doubt. I encourage you guys, jump in. A Chuckism that I love to quote is when you see a movement of the Spirit, jump in it, both feet, where you see the Spirit moving. And that's what we're doing. I encourage you guys, when you see the Spirit moving, jump in both feet. It says in verse 54, But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, Little girl, arise. Arise. Then her spirit returned and she arose immediately and he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. See, even Jesus was trying to keep his publicity a little bit on the DL because so many people were finding out about what he was doing and thronging him. And he calls her little girl. Arise, that loving side of Jesus. The Spirit returns in her. In Romans chapter 4, verse 17, it says that God gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. So you remember Jesus speaking to Mary and Martha after their brother had passed away. He told her, he said, don't you believe that I'm going to resurrect him? She said, yes, Lord, I, I believe that on that coming day that you will resurrect him. She's thinking of the future day when Jesus resurrects everyone. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And I love that because I find my life hidden within Christ. I love that because when I hated my life, Jesus was my new life. And he did away with the old life. So we have things in our life that are are troubling us. Jesus says, give them to him. And find that purpose-filled life in Christ. Jesus works in so many different ways. And so many different lives, as we just read, the woman who had the flow of blood for 12 years was in sorrow and in darkness for 12 years. And in contrast, Jairus watched his little girl for 12 years, the light of the life. Both needed Jesus. The woman came to Jesus secretly, But Jairus came to Jesus publicly. The woman who had the flow of blood, her faith was met that the moment she touched Jesus. But Jairus' faith, it was stretched as he walked with Jesus. And both had their prayers answered. You see you don't know what the person next to you is going through. We haven't walked in their shoes but you can pray for them. You can love them to the Lord and pray that the Lord would heal them, every part, so that we would see His glory in the lives of one another. Our God is a healer. We're a living proof of it that we're here. So we want to praise Him for the work that he's done in our lives, for the healing of our, of our soul. You see, he died on the cross for our sins. Let's all stand. I'm going to pray this morning. And if you need a touch of healing, I want to ask if there's someone who needs a physical healing. Just to raise your hand right now, and we're going to pray. Okay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray and ask that you would heal these or raise their hand physically, Lord. May it be a touch of your spirit, Lord, that just that raising of the hand, that belief, that faith, Father. And we trust you in these things. Jehovah Rapha. May we praise you in every season. This morning, if you need healing and it's not physical, if there's something else going on, within, and you needed that to be healed, just raise your hand right now. All right, let's pray. Father, I I pray for the hearts, Lord. For those who have raised their hand, I pray, Lord, that you would comfort, that you would strengthen, that you would heal, that you would make new. Give them a spirit, Lord God, of love, of power, and of a sound mind, Father. A spirit, Father, of encouragement, May we worship you in every season of our life. May we trust you, Lord. May we walk with you, be patient. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. I'm going to do one more song for worship tonight. such a blessing to be in this place, so continue to jump in both feet where the Spirit leads. We pray one more time and we'll sing this last worship song. Heavenly Father, I pray for those, Lord, who are standing here now. Father, I pray you would continue to build them up in your love, your kingdom. Gift them with the Holy Spirit, Lord, to show them their spiritual skills, Lord. May they fine tune those things. Lord Jesus, I pray, Father, that you would make us evangelists, Lord God, teachers. Use us, Father, the gift of healing, Lord, all for your glory. We love you, Father. We worship you. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to have a relationship with him. We can walk with you. We can talk with you. We want to serve you, Lord. You are our heavenly Father. We are your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh oh, 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 oh,
1: oh, 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 oh He's coming on the clouds, kings and kingdoms will bow down And every chain will break As broken hearts declare his praise. who could stop the lord almighty our god is the lion the lion of judah he's roaring in power and fighting our battles every knee will bow before him our god is the lamb the lamb that was slain for the sin of the world his blood breaks the chains every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb every knee will bow before him who could stop the lord almighty Who could stop the Lord Almighty? Who could stop the Lord Almighty? Who could stop the Lord? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring in power and fighting our battles. Every knee will bow before Him Our God is the Lamb The Lamb that was slain For the sin of the world His blood breaks the chains Every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb Every knee will bow before Him
0: Be blessed. We'll see you uh, next Sunday for the grand opening. Invite all your friends, your family. Love you guys. God bless.